President John F. Kennedy said the time to repair the roof is when the sun is shining. It's another episode of Leaning Toward Wisdom, the podcast. Before I went into dry dock, I kind of started working on this show. And I'm at that age where, you know, Google, Amazon, YouTube, TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, everybody's listening. Everybody knows everything. Everybody knows your browser history. Everybody's figured out kind of who you are and where you are and what you like, what you don't like, and how old you are. That's right. So when you get to be my age, you just get overcome with content and ads that have to do with retirement. Tap the brakes, tap the brakes. Do not hit the stop button, at least not yet. Hear me out. This isn't going to be a show about retirement, but it is going to be a show about preparing for the future because before I hit dry dock, I get all these posts that they throw all kinds of stats out there. And I learned a long time ago as a young person, you can anybody can tell any story they want with stats. So I, I always take these with a grain of salt but they still get your attention because we still continue to read about how unprepared for the future people are as they approach retirement. And I came across an article that said 48% of of workers. So that's half, half of the workforce believe they don't make enough money to be able to save for retirement. That's according to annuity.org. 22% of Americans have $5,000 or less saved for retirement. 15% don't have anything at all. The majority of people that I hear from in the audience of Leaning Toward Wisdom are in their 40s. That's a great thing. Some are older. I'm supposing some are younger. I don't really have any way of knowing. All I can do is gauge it by the people that contact me. And it's when we're in our 40s that we really need to, well, we always need to prepare for the future. But when we're talking about these kinds of things, in your 40s is when you're typically hitting kind of the prime of of your professional career, your income earning power and all that. And if if you aren't leaning into wisdom in your 40s to think that, well, I'll get around to leaning toward wisdom in my 60s, you You might but you might not. Greetings and welcome inside the Yellow Studio. My name is Randy Cantrell. I'm your host here. The website is leaningtowardwisdom.com, and that is the name of the podcast. It is Modern Tales of an Ancient Pursuit. And the fact that you click play, I think, would signify that you're at least giving it some degree of pursuit and Welcome back. Well, maybe you should welcome me back. I'm the one that's been in dry dock, but hey, maybe you've been in dry dock too. I haven't been away that long. And I was working on this, like I said in the intro, I was thinking about this before I hit the pause button. And there was an article that kind of got my attention, and it was there are three crucial things you must say goodbye to in retirement, and most folks can't do it can you? Okay. Well, that, 
That kind of got that kind of got my attention, and I thought, well, let's see, let's see what these things are. And very quickly, let's just we'll go through this. And the context of all of this is preparing for the future, though. You don't need to be preparing for retirement, but it wouldn't be a bad idea to do that if you're in your forties, twenties, thirties, even. And if even if you're in your fifties, or like me, you're well into your sixties. Now I'm going to qualify all of this and tell you that we, we need to define some terms. And the biggest term to define here is retirement. What does it mean to be retired? What is retirement for me? Retirement is not going to include not earning income. So typically I think when people talk about retiring, they, they think I'm never, I'm not working again. I'm going to stop working and whatever income they're going to produce is going to be from investments they have made from retirement funds that they have contributed to and so forth. Basically the income is all going to be passive. Now that may not be how you view retirement, but for the sake of this conversation so that we can be on the same page, that's how I'm going to define it for me. That's not what retirement's going to look like for me. Retirement is going to look like the ability to do what I want mostly as much as is practical and as much as is not just colossally selfish, but it's going to include earning income. It's not going to include the pressure that I had when I was in my twenties, thirties and forties, raising a family got to make X number of dollars. It's, it's a very different number now. And that's largely driven. I've talked about this very openly it's largely driven because of my, I'm, I'm attempting to embrace this practical minimalism, this, you know, this, it's not an austere way of life, not by a long shot, but I don't know. I, I, I just, my eyes rolled in the back of my head when I read these things that somebody I'm, I'm 55 and uh, my wife and I, we've got $3.2 million and we're worried that we can't retire. And I'm like, well, you're an idiot. I don't know how you as an idiot with three, I don't know how you amassed $3.2 million and you're so colossally idiotic to question whether or not you'll ever be able to retire with that kind of a fund. I don't, but there's a big caveat to all this. And the big caveat is, well, I don't know what their lifestyle is. I mean, what if this, what if this guy's lifestyle is he wants to drive Lamborghinis and he wants to get a new one every other year? could be okay well he may not have enough (laughs) but for those of us that are kind of living in this practical real world i'm sitting here thinking you know man dude 3.2 million you kidding me i haven't sniffed 3.2 million and i'm going to tell you that lord willing ron and i are going to be just just fine but we're going to be just fine because we don't live some high flying lifestyle and don't care. Don't care. Don't want to got a brand new house, got a brand new vehicle. That's all at this age. Trust me. That's all good. <laughs> I mean, the last thing you want is something that falls into disrepair and didn't break the bank to acquire either one of those assets. And we're going to be fine. We're going to be comfortable. I would tell you, well, she would tell you 
And I would concur, you know, we're going to be way better than comfortable. Okay. Are we going to take, you know, are we going to go to Europe two or three times a year? No, no, no. May never go to, may never go to Europe ever. (laughs) Don't, don't care. You know, she would kind of like to go to Scotland and might like to go to New Zealand. Might that happen? I don't know. I don't know. It's not on the plans. We haven't calendared anything yet. So it largely depends on, it's that age old thing. It's not how much you make, it's how much you keep. And so much of it is based on, okay, what kind of lifestyle here are we trying to prepare for when we're talking about the future? And clearly, yes, we're talking about money, but these things can transcend money because it's a matter of what do we want to save? What do we want to invest? What do we want to spend? And we have to answer all three of those things. A 2023 retirable survey showed that respondents who reported interest in having a part-time job during retirement. So that's the pool. The pool is, okay, how many of you want to keep some kind of part-time thing going in retirement? 71% are seeking extra income outside of retirement savings. And 65% say they just want to stay busy or active. Yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to throw the, uh, I'm going to throw the officials yellow flag up in the air like they do in football. I'm not, I'm not sure about that. I, I would suspect that some people are, they're posing it as, as under the guise of staying busy. Right? I could be wrong. I'm, you know, it's a cynical part of me. I, number one, I want to make, I want to earn some income and I want to earn income because I want to be able that's going to be a barometer to know, okay, I'm, I'm still providing some value. I'm still doing some things that are, it's worth people paying for. Uh, Yeah, you can argue with that all you want, but that's just the truth of it. Secondarily. Yes. I, I want, I want extra money because that money that's sitting over here in this pot, however small, you know, my pot is really small. Trust me. My pot is not $3.2 million. But I don't want that pot. I would like that pot to just sit there and not be affected. And it's not because I'm driven to pass this on. I'm not driven for this to be uh, something that we can hand down to kids or grandkids. It's just one never knows. One never knows. So this article, there were three critical things that you have to say goodbye to in retirement, and most folks can't do it. Can you? And so it got me to thinking about all this stuff of preparing for the future. And clearly a lot of this has to do with money as a person gets to retirement age. And there's all kinds of articles that are written, and they apply to us no matter where we are in our adult journey. They might even translate some to teenagers, college kids. It's a, it's a great time. In fact, the article says retirement marks an ideal time to take inventory. I would argue, is there ever a bad time to take inventory? And by taking inventory is not just your stuff, but taking inventory of what you're doing, how you're going about it, the decisions that you're making, the way that you're living your life. 33% of baby boomers are anticipating that their mortgage or their rent will be their largest expense during their retirement years. A third of people in my age bracket, I'm a baby boomer. 
anticipating that the mortgage or rent is going to be the largest expense during their retirement years. And for us, there's not, there really isn't going to be any expense. We're not going to have rent. We're not going to have mortgage. So I'm not in that third. Now there's going to be expenses related to living in a house, right? I mean, you got to have insurance. You're going to have to pay property taxes and utilities and these kinds of things. You're going to have to do that anyway. I mean, I guess unless you're camping out in the woods and kind of behaving like a free range chicken or something, (laughs) um, lots of stuff talking about paring things down, downsizing, purging, getting rid of things and, and, and an awful lot of that stuff. And those are worth thinking about no matter our age. I have gone on record and I will preach it ad nauseum. Yeah. I wish I would have done it sooner. There's no question. I wish, I wish there were, there's no question. I wish I would have done some things back in my forties that I didn't do until I was in my sixties, but that's easy for me to say now because then I was raising kids. We were raising kids and it was just, you're just in a whole different place. And so I'm thinking about, I'm thinking about these people that are in their forties and they've got two, three, four kids. And it's just, it's a, it's just a circus. Every day is just a circus. I remember trying to be the ringmaster of my own circus, but I'm beyond that now. And so I don't suffer what maybe too many older folks do. I have vivid recall of how life once was. And so I don't make any judgments on particularly on these guys in their forties that are juggling a career, juggling, perhaps owning their own business, juggling kids, juggling the sports and whatever activities the kids are in juggling their own marriage, juggling whatever minuscule amount of personal time they get and whatever other pressures they're under. I I completely get it. And there's little doubt that any of us who have had kids, the amount of money that you could say, okay, well, look at the amount of money that we're going through. And you do, you, you just do. Should you? I don't know. I, I did. I'm not saying that's right. I'm not saying follow my example, but we want our kids. We want to put our kids into the best situations that we can, whether that's education whether that's the neighborhood, whether that's the activities that they involve themselves in. And we are at a point you, you think, okay, you get out of high school and whatever that peer pressure was at high school. Okay. Once you get out of high school, once you get out of college, well, that's all gone. No, 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 no. When your kids start going to elementary school, there's a whole nother peer thing that kicks in because now your little darlings are friends with somebody else's little darlings. And guess who's sitting on the sidelines guess who's in the stands guess who's in the bleachers guess who's coaching on the fields yeah the parents the parents and so while we may be worried about whatever peer pressure our little darlings are going through we've got our own i I still laugh at the episode everybody loves raymond if you saw that episode where i don't know the kids that maybe the twins you know they were twin boys and then they had a, a daughter and seems to me the twin boys might've been playing baseball or T-ball or something. And there was no score being kept. Well, of course, Frank, the grandfather, he was like, just incensed. 
and I get it. I can relate. I would be just like Frank, like, okay, well, this is stupid. Why aren't we keeping score? And Raymond was asked to, well, his wife, Deborah in the show, she was asked to bring snacks. And of course there was this list of approved snacks. Uh-huh. Right. So they, they, this really buttoned down dad, he was in charge of it. The kind of guy, you know, that ties a sweater around his neck. He was one of those guys, just a real dipwad nerdy guy. And of course, Deborah brought snacks and she brought the kind of snacks that every parent with a brain in their head would bring, right? The stuff that the kids, kids want to eat. Oh, they, she brought nothing that was on the approved snack list. And it was, it just turned into this big hubbub thing. And it's just so true. It is just so true. The peer pressure of parents, even if it comes to the snacks that you bring to an event. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's real. Uh, we can laugh all we want and it makes for a good sitcom episode, but it's very, very real. And that peer pressure, that peer pressure can lead into us throwing money at some things that maybe if that pressure weren't there, maybe we wouldn't, I don't know. I mean, I think of the activities that my kids were involved in and the amount of money and the checks that we wrote, and I don't begrudge it. I don't begrudge it. I don't look back and go, man, I wish we wouldn't have done that. I don't, I just don't feel that way. You know, did we overspend? Yeah. Yeah. And every parent that I know who has it, and there are many who don't, but every parent I know who has it, they, they happily spend it. And many of the dads that I know are, are behaving kind of like me. It's just, you just got to make more, <laughs> you got to make more. I'm not saying that this is the wisest way to go. Mind you, I'm just confessing this, this was how it went. This was how it went for me. And I'm seeing this now as a grandfather, I'm seeing that I'm seeing this is how it goes for, for us, for me and Rhonda, it was, that was, yes, it was an expenditure, but we viewed it perhaps wrongly, but we viewed it as we're investing in these kids we're investing in their experiences. We're investing in their ability to do this with their friends and their ability to pursue as as they got older, pursue these things that they want to pursue, not because we want them to pursue because these are the things that now they're old enough and they figured out, you know, we like this better than that. And we, we now want to, we want to go hard into this area or that area. And in college, You know, our kids didn't, our kids didn't go into debt for college. Uh, we funded that, that that was important. You know, we, we prepared for that. We looked forward to that in the sense that we did prepare for it. So I start reading all these things about people that aren't preparing for the future and the anticipation, like I said, about a third of the people in my generation are anticipating that the mortgage or rent is going to be their biggest expense. And for us, that's not the case. And it's not the case because we did prepare. We did do some planning. We bought a new house and that was largely funded because we sold a house we had been in for 25 years and we paid cash for that house. There's no mortgage on that house. We've got insurance on that house. We're going to have taxes on that house. We're going to have utilities on that house, but we're not going to have mortgage and we're not going to have rent. So we're not part of that third that believe that, or that are anticipating that 
And it's largely a reason why so many people, as they're looking to the future, do consider downsizing. But you're seeing that across all demographic. I mean, you, the the tiny house movement was not driven, and I've followed this for years because I'm rather fascinated by it. That movement was not driven by older people. That movement was driven by younger people who thought, you know, this is stupid. This is kind of crazy. Why would we go spend hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars and all the costs associated with that when we could maybe have something that's $50,000 and it's 400 square feet and we can be just fine and we can kind of get our life back or we could have a life. I think that that probably applies to some older people and some older people, no question, have taken advantage of kind of the tiny home movement, but it was, it wasn't a movement that was generated by my generation. It was generated by people much, much younger. Now, admittedly, they probably looked at us and they probably looked at the price of housing in various parts of the country, especially, especially back East and out West at just the incredible escalation of prices and mortgages and thought, you know, we don't want to be a slave to that. I, I think the motive is honorable. I'm not saying that that's the right path for anybody. I'm fascinated by these things, but would I opt to live in a 450 square foot home? Uh, if I had the option, no, I, I wouldn't. Oh, I think they're cool. Don't get me wrong, but I don't really want to live my life that way. The first thing on this list, uh, as we kind of put this in a context of preparing for the future, the three critical things you must say goodbye to in retirement, and most folks can't, and the question is, can you, is saying sayonara to stuff. Can you say goodbye to stuff? And this isn't exclusive to retirees. See, that's why I told you. I told you don't to, don't click that stop button because this isn't about retirement. It's just that's kind of the context of it. But if you're, if you're in college, if you're in high school, if you're twenties, thirties, forties, fifties, sixties, seventies, or eighties or nineties, it doesn't matter. Can you say goodbye to stuff? And this is a kid thing. And this is an old people thing. Ex excess stuff, too much stuff. Now there's no question that there are some things that come into play for perhaps many retirees especially retirees that really want to travel. I don't. Uh, Rhonda would travel a little bit more than me, but neither one of us, uh, I wouldn't describe us as being travel hounds. We are not people that are, man, we just can't wait to not work anymore so we can travel. That has just never been the battle cry. Our, ba our battle cry has been really just the opposite, to retire so that we can stay home more. <laughs> Yeah, we're boring like that. We're really boring like that. But we've got interests. We've got things that we enjoy doing, and many of these things that we enjoy doing, we do at home. I mean, come on, the Yellow Studio. I mean, I'm in 3.1. I'm anxiously anticipating looking forward to the Yellow Studio 4.0. Where's the Yellow Studio? It's in my house. It's always been in my house. It's being home. Rhonda's sewing spaces. It's always been at home. It's just at home. You know, we're, we're not people that are just anxious to travel and we're not anxious to, uh, <laughs> we're not anxious to people, you know, it's, I mean, we need, we need to people every now and again, but you know, it's a really, really limited kind of a 
kind of a thing. Saying goodbye to stuff, I would qualify for probably all of us. Is What's the stuff that we can say goodbye to? What's the stuff that we most want to say goodbye to? You know, it's long past that, that bumper sticker, you know, the person that dies with the most toys wins. I, I Thankfully, we have kind of escaped all that. But just drive through any any neighborhood, drive, drive through with the community where you live and see how many miles you have to go. See how many minutes away from your home, wherever you live, how many minutes away do you have to drive before you're going to encounter a rather significant storage facility. Now here in the DFW area, they are everywhere. They are everywhere. I could go get in my car right now and I could drive in any direction and it will not take me half a mile before I encounter. I don't mean one that's got a few dozens. I mean, one that has hundreds of storage facilities, indoor climate controlled, not climate controlled, small five by sevens, 10 by twenties maybe even larger. I know people. In fact, I know, I know more than, I know more than a, a, a handful of people who have two or more storage facilities. I know people who have admitted that they have two units that are 10 by 20. I know somebody that's got two units that are 10 by 20 and they've got another one that's smaller. We are spending as humans, we are spending thousands of dollars in some cases a month but certainly every year to store crap that we don't even know what we don't even know what's in there. <laughs> A lot of excess stuff. Can you say goodbye to stuff? Many people can't this again, not a retirement thing. It's a planning for the future thing. Can you plan for your future by saying goodbye to stuff? Go look in your garage. Go climb up in your attic. If you've got a basement, go down there. Go look in the closets. Everywhere you look, you're going to see stuff that you've got that you didn't even remember you had it. And you don't even know why you still have it. But there it is. Man, I just got to encourage you, sooner than later, say goodbye to that. Figure out a path forward to get past that. I don't care how old you are. I don't care how young you are. Make up your mind today to say goodbye to stuff that no longer has any meaning for you. And you'll find, like me, you're liable to find that much of that stuff that you do say goodbye to, it didn't really even have the meaning for you when you got it. And then that causes you to rethink spending habits. And again, we can spend, we can save, we can invest. And all of us, we're going we're gonna to do a smattering of all of it, saying goodbye to stuff. Uh, secondly, the second thing that people can't do, can you, but something that is you're going toward retirement, you should do, you are no longer your career. I will tell you as an old guy, you're not your career anyway. You think you are. Now, this is an absolute fact so I have found in talking to a bunch of people who've hit retirement age, there is a loss of identity. I don't know if this is a generational baby boomer thing. It does make me wonder if those people coming behind us that are now in their 40s 
fast forward 20 years, are they going to feel about their identity the way my generation does? I'm not quite sure that they will. I don't know. We'll find out. But you are no longer your career. I admitted, I admittedly in my, probably in my thirties and forties went through a period of time where I did feel like my identity was tied to my career. And the older I got, the less I felt that way, the more it dawned on me, this is what I do. This doesn't necessarily represent who I am. And for me, it was largely tied to the fact that I had been in a, in a single industry since I was about 15. And so when you kind of grow up in an industry and everybody, you know, is in this industry, I mean, you, you, we talk about these bubbles. Well, that's a career bubble and my career bubble didn't necessarily have anything to do with the way I was wired. It didn't have anything to do necessarily with my sense of identity other than the fact is it was familiar. I, I knew the industry. I knew the people and the players in the industry, and it was really all I knew. I was just, I had grown up in this bubble. And it wasn't until I was able to burst out of that bubble that I realized, okay, really isn't who I am, but we've got to think about this and we've got to prepare for this. And if right now, if you're in your thirties or forties and you're thinking, I mean, if your identity is so wrapped up in that thing that you go to work to do every day, let me encourage you to challenge yourself to think bigger. I'm not saying dream bigger as far as your aspirations, although that's probably smart and wise thing to do, but break out of the thought process that you are your job or that you are your job where you have your job. You will not be the first or the last person who may be displaced because, and you thought all along, well, they can't do, they can't do without me. Yeah, they can. Yeah, they can. And most of the time I'm going to tell you, and if they can, they will. Sorry. I mean, it's just how life works. Um, for me, am I my work? I am my work in the sense that I do work that I want to do. And I've always gravitated to do the work I wanted to do. I'm not that guy who could get up in the morning. Now my dad's generation was, they could get up and they could just go do what they had to do because that was just a sense of responsibility. Well, I felt the sense of responsibility, but I needed I needed to do work that I wanted to do. I needed to go to work and feel productive and feel purposeful and feel like I was making a difference. And I don't know that our predecessors necessarily were driven quite like that as far as a generation. So it stands to reason that by the time we exit the workforce, by the time people quit working, again, something I don't plan to do. Um, they can't let go of the fact that their identity is tied up in that career. Now that's not why I'm going to continue to work because for, quite frankly, the work that I'm doing right now is work that I have, I've been doing for a decade or so. I mean, this coaching work isn't work that I, it's not work that I did. That wasn't the mainstay for me. So I've, I have successfully reinvented myself more than once. And if you haven't done that, yeah, I would, I would really encourage you to give that some thought. Now you may not want to, and if you don't want to, then don't, but if you want to, or if you've got an itch that you might want to do something different, then get busy figuring that out 
and planning that. Don't, don't wait. Don't hesitate. It doesn't mean you have to do it, but it doesn't mean that you can't do it either. You know, most of us, we have worked all of our lives and we've reached this goal. And there's so many people that when they hit retirement, it's like, I, I've, I've worked so long. So the, now I can be free and I can do this thing. I just never approached life that way. I, I, to each his own. For me, it wasn't okay. I'm going to pay this price and I'm going to go through this pain and I'm going to suffer this so that I can get to this point in time way out here in the future where that won't be the case. No, I, I, I wanted to enjoy the journey while aiming at the destination. USA Today did a survey and discovered that 47% of retirees still work in retirement. 72% of pre-retirees state they want to keep working. Now, again, I think this is largely driven. Okay, maybe even not largely, but it's driven to some degree by people who need to keep earning some income. But I also think there is something to this. We can talk all we want and we can throw rocks at, well, people don't work. They don't want to work. I'm not real sure about that. I think people do want to work. I think people want to be productive. I think people want to make a contribution. I think there's an awful lot of people that are trying to, they're struggling with how to go about that. They may be stuck in some job and they hate it, but to say, well, they hate, they just don't, they're lazy. They just don't want to work. I'm not real sure about that. Yes, there always are going to be some, but I'm not sure that that's the systemic problem. I think more likely is, you know, there are people that are just stuck. I think there are people that clearly they just don't have the opportunities. They haven't had the opportunities. And so they've got limited choices. No question. No question. We want to stay busy. We want to stay active, but I would add to that. You're no longer your career. And I would encourage you no matter what your demographic is to consider the fact that you're not your career. Now, I don't care who you are. I don't care if you're a physician. I don't care if you're an attorney. I don't care if you're an architect. I don't care if you're selling cars, you're not your career. It's part of you, but it certainly isn't the totality of you. And I know there are people who will make it the totality of who they are because they just devote themselves to it. If that's what you want to do, then do it. I no, I wouldn't advise it, but there are people that's what they do. They are completely solely devoted religiously to their career. I, I wouldn't advise that. I think faith and family in that order, Trump a career, but that's me. The last thing on the list, the third thing is all that disposable income. It's a top reason many retirees don't want to give up work. And it has to do with income security, according to this article. Now, as you approach retirement age, or if you're in retirement age, like me, there is, there are all these questions, you know, there's okay. What if you get sick? What if something happens to our spouse? What, what if our emergency, we have some emergency and it burns through whatever cash we have on hand. I mean, there clearly are worries and no question as we get older, we have those worries, but I got news for you. When I was in my forties, I was worried about some things. And right now, no matter who you are, no matter what your age, you're worried about some things. Welcome to the human race. Now, the sad reality is we think, well, just having a job that will be the remedy for these things. And the way this article posed, it was disposable income. Well, sometimes it's not disposable. Sometimes it's necessary. 
I mean, I already told you that about half of the workers don't believe they're going to make, they make enough money right now to even be able to save for retirement. Well, how dark and how bleak do they, what do you think those people are, how do how do you think they're viewing their future? You think they got any worries at all? 48% fall into that category. Yeah. I, I mean, who knows what all they're worried about? There are a lot of people that they're not worried about disposable income. They're worried about paying the rent. They're worried about keeping the utilities on. They're worried. Well, here we are in the midst of summer. They're worried about having air conditioning and come winter. They'll be worried about having heat. Forget disposable income. Many other people, of course, that's what they're concerned about. They're concerned about, well, wait, we, we, you know, we're used to buying a new car every other year. What, what if we can't, what if we can't do that? Oh, well, it was, you know, the world will stop turning or people that are accustomed to eating out five, six nights a week. Well, wait, wait, what, what, what if we have to eat at home? Oh, well, heaven forbid, everybody's got their own kind of struggle. And I guess for me, I look at all this kind of a scope and scale kind of a thing. Okay. What disposable income and what do you need it for? What do you feel like you need it for? Rhonda and I have this conversation quite frequently as it pertains to dining out because we don't dine out that much and we just don't. Now I'll go on record and tell you that neither one of us, we're, we're not foodies. Okay. So you're, you're probably not going to see me Instagram too many photographs of food. Uh, uh, I listen, I love to eat. Don't get me wrong. I mean, come on, you can tell by looking at me, but I'm just not that I'm certainly not highfalutin when it comes to food. I, yes, there are things that I like, there are things that I don't like, but I am not one of these guys. Well, oh, you know, I'm going to turn my nose up at some regional or national chain because it's not hoity toity and they don't, you know, it's not frou-frou and that is so not who I am. But even if you're going to go, even if you're going to drive through any kind of a burger joint, fast food place, the dollars spent on that are significant. They just are. Yes. Some are higher than others, but I mean, I I picked up the two grandsons. My, my son gave me, I had to pick them up from baseball practice. And of course they wanted to go to Chick-fil-A and he gave me a 20 and we go in and, you know, we get the kids, whatever they get kids. I'm not a Chick-fil-A guy. I I like Chick-fil-A. Don't get me wrong. I'm just not, I don't have kids. Kids love Chick-fil-A. They just love, and I don't, other than grandkids, I don't, I'm not, I'm not schlepping through Chick-fil-A all the time like they are. And I don't know, there's two of them. And so they get their, you know, they get their chicken meal thing and a drink and it's, it doesn't go through $20, but it, it, it takes a substantial chunk out of a $20 bill. So even if you're eating at a Chick-fil-A or any other kind of a fast food place, it's not inexpensive. It's just not. And for a lot of people, that's just, that's disposable income that they don't think of as that's necessity. This is how we, this is how we live our life. This is how we eat. Yeah. Rhonda and I talk about this frequently with wondering how many times do some of these people go out and eat at a restaurant, go in, sit down 
or drive through and you start adding up and thinking, okay, well, what if they, if they do that, if they do that once a day, if they do that once every other day, it's a lot of money. It's a lot of money. How do you, how you, how you figuring the future when it comes to disposable income? How would you define disposable income? I mean, maybe we start there. I don't like the word disposable coupled with the word income. I just don't. I never have. I'm like, I understand what it means. So I'm not, I'm not being a semantic. I'm not on a semantic high horse about this, but disposable meaning, you know, I don't care. It's insignificant. It's, it's money that's over and above. I get that it's money over and above uh, what I need, but there are so many people that I, I look at it and I think, well, that's, they are going through disposable income, but they don't think so. I mean, case in point is some of these people that eat dining out is just the way of life. That's not disposable income. This is, they would argue with you. I have to eat. We have, we have to eat. So yes, yes, we go here and we go there and we go this other place and we go to this other place. Now income changes it all. It just changes it all. So as we're thinking about planning for our futures and we're doing this in the context of finances, there's little doubt that it's going to look different depending on how much money we make. People that are highly compensated aren't going to be scrutinizing things as much as people that are my age and you realize the runway is, is it's running out. And you just, you don't want to outlive your money. And there's that added burden. The last thing you want to do is be a burden to your family. You want to remain, you want to be independent. You want to be physically, emotionally, financially, you want to be independent. And you want to maintain that independence as long as you can. We all do. And you don't want, your family to have to make some sacrifices to take care of you. So you want to be able to, at the very least, you want to be able to fund that yourself so they don't have to. So there's a whole lot in play here. And if you're a person making, pick a number, if you're a person making $200,000 a year, you're not going to be scrutinizing the Amazon purchases like somebody who's making $35,000 a year. You're just not because you've got margin. You've got this headroom. You got a, you got a, a big area of cushion. This is why these stories of people that have such discipline, when you read about a professional athlete who, who got a contract or maybe multiple contracts worth millions of dollars and they retire. And then sometimes a news story comes out that they lived, they saved 83%. I remember seeing this headline. I don't remember who the athlete was had saved 83% of every dime this person had made as a professional athlete, now retired, 83%. And you're like, hmm, okay, 17%. They lived, is that right? Lived on 17% of their earnings. Now, you could argue all you want and say, well, easy, easy to do when you're making millions of dollars. I doubt it. I doubt it. I seriously doubt it. I, I don't know firsthand, but I really doubt it. I've, I've long thought, what if some of the athletes in, in Dallas 
that get millions and millions and millions of dollars every year. I mean, what if they lived in a neighborhood like some of the rest of us live in? I mean, they don't have to live in these high, high end, but I mean, what if they got a perfectly nice house in a really nice neighborhood and a, you know, and a, and a gorgeous house, but it wasn't a million dollar home. What if they lived in a house that was half a million dollars? What if they lived in a house that was six hundred, seven hundred thousand dollars? Very few of them do. I suspect, you know, talk about the peer pressure and all that, but it just goes to show, yes, mostly we're going to spend what we make. And sometimes we have to be discerning because, well, we're not making that much, but all you got to do is go to your local target, go to your local Walmart, go, go to any place like that. And I promise you, you're going to be, you're going to see people who look like nine. Yes. We're judging by appearance. I freely admit it for this conversation, but people who look like they could be on their last leg and you're going to look in that shopping cart and you're going to see idiotic purchases. <laughs> and you and I've done that too. We've all done it easier to do when you've got some margin, just like it's easier for a person who's got a whole lot of money to take some chances with their wealth and make some investments in something that might garner them a really high return, but they might lose it. They can afford to lose it. So they take the chance and sometimes they hit and sometimes they don't. And people like me at this age, I ain't taking chances. I'm not risking. I'm not going to risk any money. I'm not at a stage of life where I could risk it. And if something didn't work out, I got time to recover. No, I probably don't have time to recover. Might, but I might not. Not worth it. Not worth it. So if you're looking for index funds or anything else to get into, if you're in your 20s, 30s, or 40s, that's going to look for you very different than it does for me. Yeah, if I'm in my 20s, 30s, or 40s, I'm taking on something that's got a little higher risk because it's going to have a higher return. I ain't doing that at my age. So these three things, I don't know. They just got me thinking, can we say goodbye to our stuff? Can we come to the conclusion that we are not our career? And can we deal with this notion of disposable income? Basically, can we stop wasting money? I mean, that's really what it boils down to. Now, the article ends with, of course, this call for you to get professional help you know, get a financial advisor and that may be what you need to do, but there's little doubt that we all need a plan. If we are going to achieve whatever future we want, financial or otherwise, we need a plan. Now I'm, I'm not at all going to advise that we have this burn the boats plan. I, I talk a lot about plan M and I just pick M because M is the middle letter in the alphabet. I know it's a real popular notion to burn the boats, go all in on plan A, and if plan A don't work, then just give yourself no place to retreat. I, I don't see it that way. It's not how I chose to roll. I learned in my life that plan B very often was way better than plan A. And plan C better still. And maybe by the time I got to plan M, I was just kind of sort of figuring it out. Now, the good thing about these plans is we are not limited by the number of letters in the alphabet. 
we can keep on iterating and we can keep on pivoting just as long as we need to. The goal and the goal here at leaning toward wisdom is to, for us to figure this out and to do that sooner than later, but sometimes it takes time. And quite frankly, it takes however much time it takes. Let's just keep working at getting it figured out. The other thing about a plan is confidence. Now, if you want to live your life fretful and worried and anxious, go ahead. I don't. And one thing that a plan has done historically for me is it's given me some direction and it has provided an avenue where I have pre-thought some things. I've been thinking about some things. I've been rolling some things around in my mind. I've been dwelling on some things for a while and I've been thinking about some things and it frequently has led to a change of mind. It frequently has led to a change in plan. What started out, this seemed like a plan. I've talked about it here before. The plan was we've got this place, let's build on it and let's include in that building project, let's include building, um, one, maybe two bedroom suites that we can rent out. Sounded like a great plan. I was pretty excited about the plan. Guess what? The plan went to, you know, where in a handbasket because all of a sudden a house caught my eye and we were able to negotiate a really favorable transaction that was super beneficial. I wasn't looking for that. Here's what we were because we had a plan. We were open to a change of plan. We knew we weren't just going to go shooting willy nilly and then hoping we hit something, right? I mean, we weren't just throwing stuff up against the wall, hoping something would stick. So we had embarked on this direction and we continued in that direction, but a big component, namely having one or two places to rent out as short-term rentals that completely went away. No problem. But I could have easily said, well, you know, that, that really is important. That's an important part of the plan. I really don't want to negotiate or compromise that part of the plan. I could have, we, we both could have. And if we would have come to that conclusion, we would not have pulled the trigger. We wouldn't have bought the house we bought. But for us, we decided, you know, the plan's bigger than that. That little specific thing about the plan while I thought that was kind of important, turns out a blessing, a real blessing to not pursue that. And today, super thankful, super, super, super grateful that I didn't go with plan, whatever that plan was, A, B, C. Really thankful that I, I got to plan M and plan M, didn't, it didn't look anything like the other plan. Think about it. We have to pre-think these things. It's up to us to safeguard our own future because nobody else is going to do this for us. Do not fool yourself into thinking that the universe is going to take care of you. Do not fool yourself into thinking, I'm just going to blindly put one foot in front of the other and hope it'll work out. It could, but it may not. You don't want to be among the people. If right now I'm talking to you and you are in your 40s, you do not want to be among the current 22% of Americans who have 5,000 or less saved. You don't want to be among the 15% who have nothing at all. And the reason these people are in these positions, there's a whole lot of different reasons, but by and large, they're in these positions 
because they didn't think enough about it. I know it's a harsh generalization, but I'm going to stand by it. I know there are limited opportunities for many people. I get that. I'm completely grateful and blessed. I've had opportunities. I would love to tell you that I was able to leverage every one of them. (laughs) That's not true. I didn't. I squandered probably most of them. But the few things that I got right, I look back now and I got right. I got right obeying the gospel. Becoming a Christian, I got that right. You want to learn more? Go to inthypaths.com. Inthypaths.com. You can also go to letthebiblespeak.tv. Letthebiblespeak.tv. I got that right. I married the right person. Lord willing, in January, we'll celebrate 46 years of marriage. And we were together almost three years before that. We've been a couple since we were 18. I got that right. Okay, maybe she didn't get that right. (laughs) I got that right. Uh, I got my career right. There were times it didn't feel like it, but by and large, I got my career right. Yes, I worked more than I should have, but it could be argued, what if I wouldn't have? I I paid a price. There's no question. I paid a price for responsibility and positions of responsibility because I was driven. I'm going to tell you, I got it. I got it more right than not. Uh, Training our children, teaching our children work ethic, teaching our children faith above all things, perfect parents, not by a long shot, but we got way more right than we didn't get right. We are not our children, and our children are not us. But, yes, we did everything in our power, and we planned, and we prepared, and we put it into activity to give them the very best advantages that we could give them. And I look back now in hindsight, because we've been empty nesters for over 20 years, yep, we got that right. No question, we got that right. We are now, as grandparents, we're trying to get as much of that right as we can. So we're at this new phase of life. You are too. So if I'm talking to you and you're 20 years old, well, you've been 19, but now you're 20. You've never been 21. You got that to look forward to. But you need to get this right. You need to get being 20 right. If you're 40, you were 39, but you don't know what 41 looks like yet. But you need to get 40 right. Get 40 as right as you can get it. And then plan and prepare for 41. 50, 60, however old you are, doesn't matter. My dad is 99. He hasn't hit 100 yet. Lord willing, in September, he will. He doesn't know what 100 is like yet because he's never been there before. But he's planning on it. He's working toward it. However hard one can work toward such things. So this is where we all are. We are all right here where we are. We are all right here in the present. And if we don't manage the present, there's no possible way that we can prepare and plan for the future. We cannot create a better future if we squander the present. It's impossible. Well, was it thought what you thought it'd be? Yeah, I don't know. Me neither. 
sometimes I know, sometimes I don't. But we're back from dry dock, so there's that. I think there's high value in being able to say goodbye to stuff. Certainly some stuff. I think there's absolute value in us making sure that our career is not the defining thing about us. And I think if we can be more responsible with our income, particularly what we deem as disposable income, we'll be well on our way. There's little doubt that we will be well on our way to preparing and building ourselves a better present, which will necessitate us building a better future if we can do those. Those certainly aren't the most important things. I'm going to put faith and our willingness to obey and serve God. It's going to trump all three of those things combined. Because eternity changes everything. So there's that. I appreciate you clicking play. Your time and attention. Hadn't spent a lot of time talking about those, but it's the elephant in the room as you get older. You just realize that time is of the essence. And you realize how brief it is. And those of you that are parents, those of you in your 40s who've got kids that are growing up, yeah, you're seeing it firsthand. You think, man, where'd the time go? Well, if you're thinking that now, yeah, stack 20, 25 more years on it and you'll be where I'm at. (laughs) It goes by in a hurry. So we want to make the most of it. And that's why this whole process of leaning toward wisdom is so urgent. It's important and urgent. It's important. And it has this time component that we need to get on with it. Foolishness is easy. Doing the right thing all the time. Preparing, planning. That's hard. It requires a lot of discipline. It requires a lot of sacrifice. And sometimes we just don't think it's going to be worth it. So we don't do it. And sometimes we just want what we want when we want it. I've been in the midst of intermittent fasting for a good while because it works for me. And there's something to depriving oneself. There's something to, okay, let's get the calories in between 6 a.m. and noon. And after that, we're done. And going to bed, there's some value in going to bed hungry. For one, you sleep a little bit better. I don't know. Food for thought. My name is Randy Cantrell. The website is leaningtowardwisdom.com. Greetings and welcome inside the Yellow Studio.